So we get to do something that most people aren't doing. And I just invite you to invite as many people as you can because it's just, it's an amazing morning. We just have enjoyed it so much. Um, and then our very last week will be following that, and that's, um, we're going to have Carla Barican coming um, all the way from Mexico, but they're here anyway because they, this is home for them um, when they're not on the mission field, but um, she's always amazing too. So, and we're going to start talking about Christmas tea. Hmm, anybody ready to hear about that? <laughs> Just throwing it out there. This year's Christmas tea is actually Friday, December 8th, and uh, we'll have lots more information about that. All right. Well, ladies, I get to introduce myself. <laughs> We've been... Um, uh, how many of you actually went home after last uh, week and maybe even read the book of Ruth? Oh, <laughs> I told you it only takes 12 minutes. It is a very short book. There's only four chapters, and I'd encourage you to do it uh, because it reads like a story. It reads like uh, a, a lovely love story, and so it's really kind of a, a beautiful story called the crown jewel of um, the Old Testament by um, many writers. But it's the beautiful love story of Ruth, who has a very difficult situation, and maybe some of you can even relate, but she's a widow, her mother-in-law is a widow, her sister-in-law is a widow. They have experienced horrendous tragedy, and they are coming from a foreign land, coming back to Bethlehem, which is the home of Naomi, the mother-in-law. And I just have to laugh because my mother-in-law is here today. <laughs> and I whispered in her ear and I said, you're going to just laugh about what our lesson is all about. But I have one of the most wonderful mother-in-laws who um, I'm thankful. Absolutely. Um, she never gave up on me. <laughs> and... Um, shared just a little bit of our story, our, my love story last week. And yeah, I broke my husband's heart because I broke off an engagement. She never took my picture off the wall. <laughs> she believed in me and she prayed for us. And it's a big reason why we're together today, 36 years strong and counting. So, right. So it's, it's, it's a, I love my mother-in-law story too. <laughs> I just hope I can be a Ruth. <laughs> But um, so, you know, we talked about the key players in our story. Um, and let's go ahead and put up the um, names of all the key characters in, our, uh, in the story of Ruth actually mean something very um, significant to the story. Ruth's name means friend or companion. And she was just that to her mother-in-law. She was more than just a, a daughter-in-law. She became a a constant companion, and I don't know, but as I read the story of Ruth, I hope I can be the kind of friend that she is, and let's all pray that we all have friends like Ruth as well in our lives. Naomi, the mother-in-law's name means pleasantness, but at one point, she accuses God of all the trouble in her life, and we made a, a, a very significant point to say God did not kill her husband and her sons. And yet she blamed and accused God. She was angry. She was grieving. And when she came um, to Bethlehem, she said, just call me Mara. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. 
Well, bitter is a very dangerous spiritual place to be. And if you stay bitter long enough, it puts down roots of bitterness, and the fruit is very bad. And so Naomi, we cannot blame her for grieving. But if we grieve with those who are without hope, or we grieve with bitterness, it will be a very bitter road to your healing. And so I believe that though she said, call me bitter, she's going to experience the goodness and the love of God, and she will not be bitter anymore. And we'll see a turning point in our story today. Her husband was Elimelech, and it meant uh, my God is king. Her sons were Malon and Chilion, weakness, sickness, and consumption. You know, why would you name anybody that? I don't know. Orpah was the daughter-in-law that left, um, and she went back to her gods, back to the foreign country where they were worshiping uh, two gods, one where they sacrificed children to, and the other one had a lot to do with temple prostitution. I don't know how the two go together, but that's what their, um, their pagan religion was all about back in Moab, where uh, Orpah and Ruth both came from. And now we hit to a new character introduced into our story. Today we're going to be seeing how Boaz comes into the life of Ruth and Naomi, and his name actually means in him there is strength. And I think you're going to enjoy who Boaz is. All right, let's just remind ourselves about our, um, the meaning of the word redeemer. You're going to hear kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer, it's actually a, a, a Jewish uh, term to help take care of widows. And there was a system in place where a relative could come and redeem a, a, a woman who is in need. And this person, it, the idea of redeemer means, includes the idea of loosing from a bond, setting free from captivity or slavery, buying back something lost or sold, exchanging something in one's possession for something possessed by another, and ransoming. All right, it was actually the Jewish law that a relative could bail somebody out and help them if they were able. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So we find that as they're coming back to Bethlehem, Orpah leaves, Ruth clings. And she says one of the most beautiful um, verses of commitment to her mother-in-law. And she tells her to Naomi, please do not tell me to leave you. For where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. And the difference that we said between Orpah leaving and Ruth staying was God. Because Orpah went back to her gods, back to her people, back to her family. While Ruth chose the one true living God that she had met through Naomi, through her husband. She knew this living God and she wasn't about to go back to the gods of her um, foreign country. But in that, she sacrificed a great deal of her own security. But she did it because I believe she had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And she expected only good from the God. She knew that she could trust God with her future. Even though by leaving her foreign country, I mean her home country, and moving to a foreign land, that customarily foreigners were not well treated. They didn't, uh, the, it was just their custom that they, they could be shunned from society. They didn't need to um, have any benefits, obviously, because they were called foreigners. 
but she went because she knew her God, and she wasn't about to make that decision to go back to the pagan gods of her homeland. So in choosing to stay with Naomi, she also chose God, Naomi's God. And let's look at 1 Timothy 5, 7, and 8. This is a charge from the, from the Word of God that I want to talk about. It's found in the New Testament, obviously, but I think it applies to our story here with Ruth. Charge the people thus so that they may be without reproach and blameless. If anyone fails to provide for his relatives and especially for those of his own family, he has disowned the faith by failing to accompany it with fruits and is worse than an unbeliever who performs his obligation in these matters. Taking care of our families, it needs to be a top priority. And I know sometimes that's difficult. Um, you may be in a situation where you are taking uh, you, care of your children, obviously. But there will come a day when you have aging parents. And I recently have walked through that with my own mom, who is a widow of three times. She has outlived three husbands, all of whom she loved dearly and all of whom loved her dearly. And she thanks God that she could love that many times. But uh, there came a day when she wasn't safe in her own home and she wasn't able to take care of herself. My strong, independent, always on-the-go mom suddenly needed a lot of help. And I have uh, five, there's five kids. Um, one lives in Sweden, one lives up north, and then I have two other sisters that live um, nearby. But we could not provide the kind of care that she needed. And so we had to make that hard decision that um, it was time for her to get into an assisted living situation. I didn't have any idea how emotional that was going to be. And thank God my mom was on board with it. She said, yep, this is what has to happen. But it has been a, a big life change. But I am encouraged to know that taking care of our parents, if and when you get to that place in your own life, it pleases God. And it's a charge that we have. And it's worth every minute of what we've done to help her get settled, to find the right place for her, to sell a home, to sell a cottage, to do all these things. I have no idea why I'm in charge of her finances. That is not my forte. But that's what she's, she wants me to oversee her estate. And so I try to be faithful in, in taking care of her things to honor her life as well. So there are days when my house is really dirty, but I go see my mom. And those things I know are important, too. We want to have a, a, a home uh, in order. That blesses God, too. But I'm seeing in First Timothy that priorities to God are relationships. And what we can do to take care of our families um, does take precedence over a lot of the things that maybe are just more busy work, or maybe they can just wait a little bit longer. Isaiah 58, 7 teaches us not to hide ourselves from the needs of our own flesh and blood. It's another scripture talking about take care of family first. This instruction is followed with a blessing. Then shall your light break forth in your healing, your restoration, and the power of a new life break forth speedily. So there is a blessing when we do things uh, God's way. Amen? Um, I, just a couple things that I know you've all heard, but just a good reminder. Children and grandchildren grow up very quickly. 
fact. <laughs> and if you don't get involved with them at those early ages, there will be a day when they don't have time for you. But if you lay that foundation of relationship, they'll always come back to you. And that is something I can speak very highly of my mother-in-law and father-in-law. They have always, always been there for our kids. And they want them, their grandma and grandpa, to be the first to know about things, about when they were having their babies and when they announced their marriages, because you built that foundation with them. And I thank you for that. that they have been a big part of my kids' lives, and she has done it well. And um, so now I'm a grandma, times um, seven, almost eight. And I just, I can't get enough of my grandbabies anyway, but so it's not hard. But just to know that that is, that is such a beautiful thing that God wants us to do is to invest, invest, invest. And so your children spelled love, T-I-M-E. I don't think there's a substitute for it. And it's always worth taking the T-I-M-E. And one other thing, um, last year when Dory Mendering came, maybe it was 2016, um, Dory, as most of you know, uh, as of eight years ago, was in charge, pastor of women's ministry. She retired, and um, it's been eight years, can't believe it, that I've stepped into her shoes, very large shoes, and could never fill them. She's amazing. Um, but she came back to speak with us, and her husband had passed away just weeks before. And I had said to her, Dory, I'm letting you off the hook. You don't have to come if you're not feeling up to it. She goes, well, God's already downloaded this, and what do you think about that? I said, okay, come on in, honey. And I loved what she said, and it really struck my heart, and I'll never forget it. She said, <laughs> after her husband died, and they had to go through the whole funeral and everything, she said she heard the Holy Spirit say, tell the ladies to love your husbands while they're warm. That was a word from God. <laughs> I know one girl who said, I went home and I did his laundry and I made his favorite meal and I did all these things that I hadn't done in a long time because I want to love my husband while he's warm. So live to love for today. Plant the seeds. Build the foundation. Relationships are important to God. So despite Naomi's bitterness and despite dealing with her own losses, Ruth pulls herself up. She's also dealing with uh, the loss of her husband. And she pulls herself up by the bootstraps and honors her commitment to her mother-in-law above all else. And she, to care for her, she swallows her pride because as they enter into Bethlehem, they are now the poor people. There is no one there. There is no husband or son to take care of them, which is what most families would rely on. And it takes a stronger person in a relationship to rise up above, doesn't it? Because instead of joining Naomi in her uh, grief-stricken, bitter state, she said, I'm making a commitment to do whatever it takes at my own sacrifice, at the expense of my own comfort, to, to take care of my mother-in-law. And one of the character traits that I love about Ruth is that she speaks words that line up with the word of God. So we're going to begin in uh, chapter 2, and let's go ahead and read 
All right, from here. This is uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, isn't that funny? This is a teaser. All right, we're just kind of getting the facts up front here. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. What was Ruth's declaration of faith? I'm going to go and glean. Gleaning was that culture's form of, of welfare. The poor were uh, allowed to go behind the reapers and get the leftovers. In fact, the farmers were actually supposed to leave the corners, and, um, and the poor people were able to go and get food that way. And that's how they helped the poor. And so Ruth says, I'm going to go to the field, and I'm going to glean, not reap, because she wasn't hired to do it, but she was a, a person who, who was allowed to glean, um, among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight... I'm going to find favor with somebody. She declared it ahead of time. She's a Moabitess. She's a foreigner. They don't have to treat her nice. Culturally, uh, they did not treat foreigners um, well. But she's saying, I'm going to find favor today. You know why? She knows her God. She knows and trusts that God is going to take care of her. See, because our words are important, and we did talk about this last week, because... uh, Naomi was spewing poisonous words and accusing God of things that don't line up with his character. But out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth is going to speak. And I always say, if you listen long enough, somebody's going to tell on themselves because we begin to hear what is in your heart in abundance. And that's why we really, 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 really need to plant the word of God in abundance in our hearts so that it just flows out of your mouth because there's more of that in there than the negative. Um, And the word of God is life. What Ruth spoke were words of life that lined up with the word of God. So when she says, I'm going out, I'm going, to get some, um, I'm going to do some gleaning. I'm going to get some food for us today, and I'm going to find favor because my God is going to do this for us. Um, let's go to Proverbs 6.2. There's two scriptures that support what we're saying here. Um, I got something a little different here. We're snared by the words of our mouth. Proverbs 6.2. Do we have that one? Good. Thank you. And life and death are in the power of the tongue. <clears throat> That's pretty important. Life and death, and I shared this with our table last week in discussions. I said, I felt at one time that I was getting a cold sore. Have you ever felt that? It was like, I almost feel like there was a, a root, and it was starting to fester. It was getting hot. It was getting sore. And I said to someone, I said, I'm getting a cold sore. And immediately, the Holy Spirit stopped me and said, you just spoke life into that. Well, that's not the right kind of life, (laughs) but what should I have said? My words were powerful at that moment, and the decision that we can make is like what Jesus did. He cursed the fig tree from the roots, and it died, and I, what my words should have said is in Jesus' name, I curse this, uh, this cold sore, and you have to die by the roots and go away. If you believe that's powerful, it lines up with the word of God. Because life and death are in the power of the tongue, and we are snared by the words of our mouth. But I love the way Ruth is snared because she is saying the things of God that are true. 
All right. And then she said, favor. I'm going to go and I'm going to find favor. You know what favor is? It's when somebody wants to do nice things for you and they don't even know why. They like you. They want to bless you. They give you things. They do things for you. They say, I'm going to waive that fee. Um, don't worry. I'll take care of that. For they don't even know why. But you know what? God has crowned you with a favor. God can help us to walk in what we call divine favor. Now let's go to Psalm 512. It says, for you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. That is, every one of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, you are made righteous. So this promise is for us that with favor you will surround him as with a shield. It will protect you wherever you go. And people will want to do things for you. And Express it. Say, I have favor with God and man. I, have the, I walk in the favor of God, and it surrounds me as a shield. See, Ruth did not sit around waiting for her ship to come in. She didn't play the lottery hoping to win and get a, a, down, a, a, a windfall. Okay? Sorry if I'm stepping on toes. She didn't wait for her knight in shining armor to come rushing in and rescue them. She got up, and she went to work, and she believed that God... God's favor was surrounding them. Um, let's go to Deuteronomy 28.8. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to. Everybody say, put your hand to. All right. You in the land which the Lord your God gives you. So whatever you're putting your hand to, God can bless and we used to tell our kids uh, just something that we taught them to say is that I'm the head and not the tail, <laughs> above only and not beneath, and everything I sent my hand to prospers. Those are three beautiful blessings to walk in, but they're for every righteous person in this room. But what if you're not setting your hand to anything? What if you're setting on your set? God can't bless what you're sitting on. He wants to bless what you're putting your hand to. And Ruth did exactly that. Here's a famous quote from Joyce Meyer. Maybe you've heard this. She says, go ahead and rest. But once rested, get up and work. You can't take authority over your life if you don't have authority over a sink full of dirty dishes or a messy garage. Say, oh me. Or, oh, God. <laughs> and so there are days when that looks overwhelming. Or how about that huge pile of laundry sitting there that doesn't, it just seems bottomless. Do you ever do your household chores and say, God, you are blessing and prospering the work of my hand today. I am surrounded with favor. I have energy from on high to complete any task because I have the mind of Christ. And he is gifting me, anointing me to use my time wisely so I can get this done in Jesus' name. You ever do that? I do. Because <laughs> sometimes you only have this much time to do this much work, right? And I believe God can redeem that time for you. I truly believe that. I think he wants to do that for us. So if we can't conquer the little things, how are we going to conquer the big things? So start where you are at. Start with a sink full of dirty dishes. Start with making that bed. Start with whatever that thing is that sometimes just frustrates you and is hard to get to. But see, God promises to bless, bless what we set our hand to. And so we need to be willing to do that. All right, let's go on to verse 3. And Ruth went and gleaned in a field after the reapers, and she happened to stop at the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Everybody said happen. She didn't happen. 
She didn't happen. This is a divine appointment, and you're about to see why. And there was a field belonging to Boaz. And we already know one thing, but Ruth didn't know this yet. Boaz is a relative, a rich relative, as we found out. All right, let's continue. And he was of the family of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was set over the reapers, Whose maiden is this? I love this. He notices her. There's a little spark in his eyes. Who is this girl? Whose maiden is this? And the servant said over the reaper's answer, she is the Moabitish girl who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Everybody knew Naomi, but not everybody knew Ruth. And she's the Moabitish girl. Is that kind of like um, the Canadianish girl or the, the Germanish girl or maybe... The Spanish girl, I guess that one works. But anyway, who's, she is of a foreign country. But as we're going to see, not only was God going to bring Boaz into Ruth's life, she didn't even know who he was, and he didn't know who she was. They did not know that there was already a connection that was going to rescue and redeem and be part of the plan that God had for them. I don't believe things happen by happenstance. Ruth didn't get up in the morning and read her horoscope. And it said, you will meet a rich relative today. All right. She did not rely on what she could see in the future. She just simply said, I'm going to find favor today. And she happened because God put her there at the right place in the right time. And you also notice that Boaz showed up at the same time. So they came together at this place that God was bringing them to for a purpose and a reason. Um, last year, we spent five weeks studying Psalm 91. How many of you were part of that study with us? Yeah, and there's a very beautiful verse. It talks of whole Psalm 91. is a psalm of God's protection that he promises. And when we read in um, verses... I'll just read the first three verses. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no foe can withstand. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. On Him I lean and rely, and in Him I confidently trust. And here's verse 3. For then He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. And Woven into the uh, meaning of a lot of those Hebrew words, it literally means God will put you in the right place at the right time. He will protect you from danger by removing you from that place of danger and put you in a safe place at the right time. And here we see that God is putting Ruth and Boaz together at, uh, at, the, at the right time, at the same time. So that this connection is being made, and it's a divine encounter. And let's go on to verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he notices her. Let's go on to verse 7. And uh, the servant says, and she, and she said, I pray you. I'm sorry. I'm going backwards here. All right. Let's start on verse 7 here. And she said, 
I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from early morning until now, except when she rested a little in the house. So the overseer is explaining to Boaz, this girl could work. She's been here all morning, and she's only rested a little while, and she's just continued to work. Then Boaz said to, to Ruth, listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but stay here close by my maidens. Watch which field they reap and follow them. Have I not charged the young men not to molest you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Here's what happened. See, we're not talking about these individual fields like we might picture um, farms these days. Apparently, in this society, they had one large community field, and it was marked for the family's stake, what they belonged to their, their family, by stones. And so... One big field, and Ruth happens to go to the field of Boaz. And he happens to be there at the right time to notice her. God is putting this together, is he not, for a divine purpose. And so here he starts showing her favor immediately. And uh, on verse 10, Ruth says, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should notice me when I am a foreigner? And she's just acknowledging this is unusual. This is not um, the way most foreigners are um, treated. But we begin to see into the heart of Boaz. He shows what he's made of. The favor that Ruth spoke of is now coming to pass. It's now manifested and demonstrated. And Boaz's heart is drawn to her. And we know before the end of the story they will be married. But isn't it beautiful that God didn't just put a contractual marriage together that was loveless? The spark started before they even knew that there was this law that would protect or would allow Boaz to care for this Moabite woman who was already caring for her mother-in-law. I call that grace. I think God is so beautiful to make it a blessing all the way around. Because, you know, that kind of grace is the same grace that God shows us, is it not? Because on the day that the world showed its greatest hatred toward God, God in his love and in his mercy showed his greatest act of love by sending Jesus to die for us. Because when you set your hand to do something and claim God's favor, watch God just lavish his love and his grace on you. He will put you in the right place at the right time, and he loves us that much. But let's go on to verse 11. And Boaz said to her, I have been made fully aware of all you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people unknown to you before. The Lord recompense you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Okay, light bulbs going on out there. What does that remind you of as well? Under the wings. Psalm 91 again, absolutely, because we had this beautiful picture, and I looked for it, and I couldn't find it, of uh, a picture from Psalm 91 uh, that showed a little bird, a mama bird. Oh, it's there. Oh, there's one. Okay, here's mama bird covering her chicks with um, her wings. Do you have the other one, too, by chance? I remember that one. There was one more. I don't know. I forgot to ask you, Emily. Sorry. That's okay. But that's, oh, there she is. Isn't that the most beautiful thing? There are chicks in there because that bird does not have that many legs, right? 
But that's the picture that we find in Psalm 91 where he says that he shall cover you and under the shadow of his wings you will find safety and refuge. And look at that mama protecting her chicks. Isn't that just the cutest thing? How many you think are there? Two, four, six. You've got to divide it <laughs> by the birds, right? So that's the beautiful picture. And, and Boaz is acknowledging that the God Almighty is hovering and, and covering um, Ruth and Naomi and they are under the protection of the shadow of the Almighty's wings. All right. Can you tell me where we're at, Emily? <laughs> I lost my place in our reading. The next slide. All right. Okay. Been made fully aware. All right. The Lord recompense you for what you have done, and the full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He is now speaking a blessing over her. The favor just keeps getting better and better all the time. All right. So let's go on to the next PowerPoint there. We are on verse 13. Then Ruth said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken to the heart of your maidservant. Ooh, he's reaching her heart now. That's getting pretty serious. The love story is just really beginning to develop here. So not only has Boaz noticed her, but now he has reached a deep place in her heart. Spoken to the heart of your maidservant, though I am not as one of your maidservants. But he was treating her with honor, was he not? And here's another thing that showed honor. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your morsel in the sour wine mixed with oil. And she sat beside the reapers. She wasn't a hired hand. She was a poor person allowed to glean. But he promoted her, lifted her, and said, Just come eat with these uh, reapers. And he passed her some parched grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left for Naomi. And when she got up to glean... Boaz ordered his young men, let her glean, even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And let fall some handfuls for her on purpose, and let them lie there for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. She worked all day. And God blessed and prospered her. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, which apparently is about four gallons. I can't imagine carrying that home. <laughs> That must have been a pretty heavy load. But not only was she able to pick up after the, the reapers, now she, she was right in line with the reapers, and she got to keep everything that she, that she reaped. So Boaz indeed blessed not only her, but blessed um, Naomi as well. But you know what I love about that is Naomi, um, I'm sorry, Ruth never tutored her own harm. She did not have an entitlement mentality like you owe me. She didn't have a victim's mentality. Like, poor me. I There's nothing going my way. Everything's bad. But Boaz rewards her. And uh, actually, God rewards her through Boaz, and he invites her. He promotes her to a place of honor. Let's go to verse 18. And she took up and went into the town. She showed her mother-in-law what she had gleaned, and she also brought forth and gave her the food she had reserved after she was satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who noticed you. So Ruth told her, The name of whom, uh, with whom I work today is Boaz. Now it's like, I think, Naomi, why didn't you remember you had a rich relative named Boaz? But she says, Oh, 
uh, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not ceased his kindness to the living and to the dead. And, um, oh, the Naomi said, The man is a near relative of ours, one who has the right to redeem us. Now, this is pretty much the end of the chapter, but let's talk about the right to redeem us. She's speaking of that law that says that when a widow is in trouble and is in need of help, a near relative can actually come in and marry her, buy back the land that belongs rightfully to the family if he's able, in order for this woman to be rescued, redeemed, saved, protected, delivered from her her situation. And there's another who has the right to redeem us and took the right to redeem us because our redeemer is Jesus Christ. And when we, in, we were lost in our sin, there was no hope for us outside of what Jesus did for us. And he came in and he bought us back from, um, from what the devil had stolen from us our rightful place, our right standing with him. He not only did that for us, but of course he took care of sin, which would have separated us from him. He took care of shame. He put it on Jesus so that we could be shameless. He took our blame, what we are really responsible for. Jesus says, I'll take care of it. I'll be your redeemer. And what we want to call him is our kinsman redeemer. Boaz was kin. He was family. And so the law stated a kinsman redeemer could redeem the situation and redeem this um, woman in need of help. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer because there's a scripture that calls him our brother. And so, and we have been grafted into the family of God. We're family. And Jesus says, I'm going to go rescue my family, and I will be your kinsman redeemer. Usually, the, it was a male relative who, according to the law, had the privilege or responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble, danger, or need. So the kinsman redeemer designates the one who delivers and rescues. Hebrews 2.11 says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family, and Jesus is our brother. So um, another wonderful scripture on what Jesus did for us, Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. In him we have redemption. There's the word right there, the redeeming. Through his blood, the remission of our offenses in accordance with the riches and the generosity of his gracious favor, which he lavished upon us in every kind of wisdom and understanding. Our kinsman redeemer was able to redeem us by his blood because sin demanded payment and a death had to happen in order for the payment of sin to be fulfilled. Because the wages of sin is death. But there was only one who could redeem us. There was only one kinsman redeemer that could possibly do that for us. None of us could redeem ourselves. We were in, a, we were in an impossible situation, much like Naomi and Ruth. But Jesus came. The one who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's a 2 Corinthians 5.21. So he redeemed us. Jesus is our kinsman 
Redeemer. Everything we deserved, the punishment, the blame, the shame, God laid on Jesus. And then he said he paid for it with his blood so that we wouldn't have to. And then he turned around and everything that Jesus deserved, he gifted to us. That's grace. Unmerited favor will never deserve it. But that's what Jesus has done. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. So, Father God, as we, as we meditate on your goodness, we acknowledge that you are our kinsman redeemer. I thank you, God, that you have redeemed us, you have delivered us, you have saved us. You paid the ransom. You took us out of the pit of despair and in our impossible situations.